morning, Grace. I am Isai Gutierrez. I'm the worship director here at Grace Bible, and I don't usually get the opportunity to be with you all during this part of our service, but I am excited to continue our series on Ecclesiastes. Um, and what we're going to be seeing in, in this chapter, chapter 4, are five dangers that can keep us from rejoicing in our toil. Five dangers that keep us from rejoicing in our toil. And so, if y'all didn't know, just a little bit about me. Uh, I've been, we've been, or me and my wife have been married since uh, 2019. So, uh, December 2019, and right now uh, we have uh, a baby. He's uh, going to be nine months old uh, pretty soon, in a couple of days. Uh, and I'd like to think that right now he is my entire life. Um, what I have noticed as a father. Uh, maybe this is just new parenthood or, or just being new parents. Uh, right now, I spend a lot of time thinking about scheduling. <laughs> it's, it's everything is scheduling. And, and what I have noticed specifically is every morning, it's about, okay, I need, a, I need to get ready at this time. If I want coffee, I got to make it before this time. Um, I have to feed them by this time. I have to change them. And I have to get them to the grandparents' house by this time. And it's all of that, all of that going on in my head as, as the morning is going. And then I finally get to work and I sit down and the first thing I want to do is open my camera roll and see uh, the pictures or the pictures and videos of him. Uh, and, and I'm missing the time that I missed at home and I was just with him. And so chapter four, what we're going to be seeing is this tension of rejoicing in our toil, rejoicing in our reward. Uh, Pastor Eddie touched on it last week in uh, chapter 3, verse 13. We have it up here also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. God's gift to man. He then concludes the chapter with that same thing. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. God's gift to man is to rejoice in our toil. This is our lot. And chapter 4 continues with this. So Ecclesiastes will be in chapter 4 if you want to open up your Bibles. There's uh, some Bibles in front of your chairs too. So it starts like this. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who are already dead, more fortunate than the living who are still alive, but better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. So if we keep on looking at those verses, the teacher is continuing his advice, again, from the last chapter, and he observes that in the world, there is oppression. And the word for oppression here means extortion, a, a powerful hand coming and taking from your reward. A powerful, uh, or a powerful, could be king, could be government, could be anything, um, taking from your reward. So obviously, the oppressed can't rejoice in his toil because there are people taking from him. And that's the, the world we live in, we live in and, and that's what he's saying here that, no matter where you are, there will be oppression. And so I remember uh, 
summer of 2011. I was laying on the couch, raiding the fridge, raiding the pantry like any good teenager does. And, and my mom gets me up, takes me with her to her work, uh, and gets me a job immediately like any good mother does. And honestly, I loved it. It was a warehouse job, and it was just uh, labeling packages, labeling product, moving boxes. Uh, but it was tough, too. I mean, it was scorching inside the, the, the warehouse. Uh, and sometimes it was even freezing if you had to work in the refrigerated section. And it was a lot, a lot of work. And finally, two heavy, heavy weeks passed by. And on the way out of my shift, my, my boss gives me an envelope. And I know what it, what it is. It's, it's my reward. It's my paycheck. And so we're on our way out. We're driving home. And I tell my mom, Mom, dinner's on me. I got it. And, I'm op- and as I'm saying that, I'm opening up the envelope. And that's the moment where little Esau learned about taxes. <laughs> we'll just say that my mom had to settle for McDonald's that night. <laughs> and it could be easy to just stay there. It could be easy to say, man, the government is taking my hard-earned money and, and just, just dwell in that. But church, what I ended up learning too is how many of us enter into debt so willingly with these companies that have power and strength that ultimately have a hold on a large chunk of our reward. So willingly we're, we put ourselves under that. I, my first car, I don't even want to tell you my interest rate because I can't put too many jokes into the sermon. That's what I was told. But I remember coming to work and, and, and thinking, man, I have to work an entire week or week and a half just to have this car. And I was digging, and I felt like I was digging myself into a deeper and deeper hole, and I couldn't get out of it. So yes, oppression is real. There is external uh, powers that can come and take from your reward. But church, how are we ourselves putting our, how are we ourselves putting ourselves into into that oppression? So the the person that's the first danger, the person under oppression cannot rejoice in his toil. Verses two and three. I can't move on without shedding light to, or I'm sorry, actually, yeah, I'm sorry, for verses 4 and 6. Then I saw that all toil and all skill in work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. But better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. So he continues this same thought by pointing out man's true drive for success. He says it is envy. Envy is meaningless and will not allow you to look away from your neighbor's lot and enjoy your own church. And similarly, in the next verse, he says, The lazy person can't enjoy any benefits at all because he hasn't done the work. Proverbs 6 puts this really well. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. 
and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. The envious person wants what the neighbor has. The lazy person wants because he doesn't have anything at all. So then he, give us a, he gives us a contrast. So how can you rejoice in your toil? Better is a handful of quietness. Nahath meaning calm and patience, knowing that God will provide. Then what? Two hands that toil without end. Psalm 127 says, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. So church, how does that look like in each of our lives? Do we spend time looking at what the neighbor has and working and working because you want to gain that reward rather than being content with the gift that God has given us, the lot that God has given us? Verses 7 through 8. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother. Yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. So he continues now uh, the same thought by observing the other person who toils without any other purpose but to gain more, to gain more and more riches. And he never asks himself, why, for whom am I toiling? For whom am I depriving myself of pleasure? So his toil, his work is unending because he can never be satisfied. And if he can't be satisfied, church, then his time is filled with meaningless toil because he's going to keep working and working and working. And when the reward comes, he will not be satisfied. So he deprives himself of pleasure because he has no time to do anything but labor and work and work for nothing. And there was a, a, a famous businessman here in America. There was a, a businessman named William Hurst. He, he would invest a fortune collecting art and treasures from around the world. And one day, Mr. Hurst read the description of a valuable art item, which he sent his agent abroad to find. And after months and months of searching and investing, this agent reported that he had finally found the treasure. And to the surprise of William Hurst, the priceless masterpiece was stored in none other than the warehouse of William Hurst. The multimillionaire had been searching all over the world for a treasure he had already possessed. So looking for a treasure that was stored away. And I think we can imply that if he found that art piece, I mean, it would end up in the same place. And that would just keep going on and on and on. And there's no enjoying and rejoicing in the toil that God gives. And church, how many of us store precious time with our family, 
for another day. And I'll get to that when I'm not so busy with work. Or if I work hard this much right now, then maybe one day I'll get the chance to enjoy this. Or if I work enough to offer my family everything they desire, then by that time they'll know that I love them. As, as I talked with the pastors about this part of the passage, they, they shared that a considerable amount of their couple's counseling has to do with a husband who is absent from home because he believes he needs to offer the world rather than provide love and time, which are far, far greater in value. To church or husbands, how, how does that look like in our lives? I know, I know we're, we're known to be the providers. We want to be the protectors. And I know it's in our hearts to provide everything. But maybe there has to be perspective shift. We're not providing everything in this world, but we're providing the love and time that our wives need, that our families need. So church, don't store up the treasure that God has given to you for another day. Remember for whom you toil and rejoice in your lot. That's, that's a question to be asking ourselves. For whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? And so he continues in verses 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have good reward for their toil. For if they fall... One will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but, now, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. So the teacher is explaining why the reward of two is better than one. It's not just because it's smarter, because you want to reap more uh, of the field or whatever it is. No, he says that the reason in verse 10 for lifting each other up. And he continues again to keep each other warm through their work. It's less of anything intimate, but it's about uh, people just imagining uh, having to sow a field or, or be outside working. Uh, this was a survival tactic. It was keeping each other warm. And then finally in verse 2, to stand against aggressors. So the teacher here is emphasizing care and protection. Because the person without another is going to fall and not rejoice in his toil. And, and this is where I do have to mention the Grace Bible. How in my life. Although our toil is different, and you got a family here that wants and is prepared to pick you up when you fall. And to make sure that you can keep moving forward, church. And to fight beside you through your trials. So yes, two are better than one. A threefold can't be broken quickly. But you got a lot more than two and three here. Who are ready to invest in your work too. So let's fight any temptation of seclusion. Seclusion when you think, man, I need to work on myself before I could come to church. I need to work on myself before I can serve. I need to work on myself before I can come 
to my church. Because the, the key that we're seeing here to getting back up is not your own strength, but the strength of your community who are ready to lift you up. Verses 13 through 16. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this is also vanity and a striving after when this final half, pretty much, of, of chapter 4 is about community. And he's illustrating it here with this story. It, it, he says a foolish king who can't take advice is not going to rejoice in his toil. Why? Because when he falls due to his foolishness, there's not going to be anybody to pick him up. Even then says his legacy, his work is going to be meaningless. Because all the work that he's doing will die when nobody rejoices in him. So church, how does that look like in our life? Are we seeking out community? Not for its benefits, not because we're going to reap more product. Not because if I, if I meet this person, he's going to take me to this person or anything. But because there's a care and support like no other that God has given us through the church. And how does this look like? How does rejoicing in our work, how does rejoicing in our toil look like? Well, we know in Scripture the definitive model for anything is Jesus and how he left perfect communion with the Spirit and the Father. He lived an innocent life, an unblemished life, separate from sin. And he endured the unjust beatings. He endured the cross, a toil and a work that none of us could do, church. And in Hebrews, he says, he did this for the joy set before him. To free us from our oppression of sin and give us a path to the Father. So how do we rejoice in our toil? In chapter 3, is to be dependent and knowing that this is a gift from God. That it is God who provides our lot. That it is God who provides what we need. I know in my own life, that, that's so easy to look away from. To think that I need to provide for myself, that I need to provide for my family, whether it's in our nature or not. It's just so easy to put our perspective on things of this earth. And it's then easier to put ourselves under the oppression of others or to even oppress others and take from others. 
to be envious of others, to maybe give up and be lazy, or to be greedy and want more and more without stopping and asking ourselves why we work. And it's so easy to give into seclusion and to think, man, I, I need to do this all on my own. But it is through community, it is through the joy that was set before Christ that would give us a path and communion with the Father and would ultimately give birth to, to his church, the beloved of Christ. So it's because Christ rejoiced in his toil by looking to the joy set before him. I can rejoice in Christ who is my portion. So when oppression comes, I will rejoice in him. And if I am tempted to look at my neighbor's lot, I will rejoice in him. And when I recognize that my unending toil comes from greed, I will stop and rejoice in him. Or if I find myself withdrawn and fallen, I will draw to his church and I will rejoice in him. And we can be content, church, because God has provided the work of Christ in the cross. So what would happen in our homes if we rejoice in our toil and the lot that God has given us? Would, would we be more present? Would we enjoy the time we have today? What would happen in your workplace? If your purpose would be about working unto God and not unto ourselves out of greed, what changes, church? Would your coworkers see a dif difference? Would we complain a little less? Would you praise God's provision a little louder so they can hear? And what would our church look like? Outside of these walls, if you said the lot that God has given me is enough, how much more would you give and serve others? How many lives would change because you rejoice in Christ, your portion. If we are content with the lot that God has given us, and our church, our city can change. Because these are going to be a people who don't live selfishly for themselves but for others. So rejoicing in your toil is not about us. God has given to us. God has provided. It is enough. But rejoicing in our toil will ultimately point back to God, the provider. Church, let's be that people continue to ask ourselves for what am I toiling and if God has provided or because he has provided everything and we can say this is enough and I can give up everything I have because I know that God provides
Let's be that church. Let's know that he is our portion and that what God has given to us is enough. Church, let's pray. Father, I know that throughout this series, you've been tugging in our hearts. May we ask the question right now, God, are you enough? If I didn't have what I have right now, are you enough? Is this lot that you have given me enough? And can I rejoice in what you've given me here? Because I look unto you, my provider. God, grant us hearts to respond to this, to, to meditate in our lives right now. And are we going day by day, letting these moments pass by with our families, with our church community, with our friends, because we want more and more? Are we satisfied in you? And will you show us the blessing in communi community? Give us heart to give up everything to you and surrender to you. In that way, may we rejoice in our toil because the gift of grace through Christ is our portion. In Jesus' mighty, mighty name we pray. Amen. Thank you, church.